If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Major Tom McKay is on the board while Buller's getting booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard and Jennifer McQueen. Apparently, the federal conservatives are having a convention in Quebec City. Nobody knew until the liberals started camping out front. Here's Scott Thompson. Yeah, baby. Oh, it's becoming quite comical now. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson, 900 CHML. All right. What do we? Oh, it's Super Crawl. Yeah, uh, this is amazing. This is amazing to see because I remember having Tim Potasik and crew in, um, uh, I think it was back in 2009, and uh, talking about this festival that they had and their ideas and their plans. It's like, wow, this sounds pretty cool. And right off the get-go, it was a tremendous success. And then just kept building and building and building every year. Uh, and even with the pandemic, you know, and makeshift versions of, they made it through and are, um, you know, back hammering on all eight cylinders. So it's, it's great to see. It's great to, uh, uh, you know, to see this, uh, this event expand and grow and the city grow to love it to, a, to the point where it's like, it's the event. It's the, it's the, everybody knows what it is. So we're going to talk to uh, Tim Potasek coming up a little later this hour and uh, next is uh, actually to find out what this year's edition is all about and uh, where they are. It's amazing. It's great to see. And they should all take a bow for uh, uh, and have a, a great round of applause for everything that the super crawl crew has done. All right. What else we got? This was quite ho- uh, comical this morning, and we're going to get you some clips on this. Um, but uh, you may not know, or you, you might know, that uh, there's a conservative, federal conservative convention in Quebec City going on right now. I think we're at day two. And Pierre Polyev is, is rallying the troops, as they say, and, um, and, and yeah, doing their thing. So all of a sudden this morning, I'm, I'm watching the news sources, and the environment minister, Guibault, all of a sudden stands up in, in front, like on the steps of where they are and starts holding a press conference and screaming and yelling and, and fear mongering and calling uh, uh, the conservatives deniers and they have no plan, which I don't know. The leader's been on this show at least uh, four times. I'll say, and I'll say three where I've actually said, so what's the plan? And he lists like the four or five things that there are priorities are. So, you know, I, I, I don't know how that's any less of a plan than, than charging us a fortune for everything that we have and saying that it's going to save the planet. Um, God bless carbon taxes. I'm not sure it's working. Uh, and, and although they keep pointing to the forest fires out in BC, I, I don't think that's a result of, or, or more carbon tax is going to save that. So, uh, you know, I think everybody's concerned about the environment, but what's really coming into play is nobody thinks that what the, uh, current government is doing is actually making a difference, especially when we're emitting less than 1.5% of greenhouse gases. There's other ways to be contributing other than starving the people. But this has always been a revenue generator for the liberals. It was that way back in the wind government provincially. And it's funny that, you know, I know a lot of the people from the wind government went over to the federal scene, but it's like, it, it seems that they're, the, the federal liberals are on their way to the same, in the same direction that the Ontario liberals went. And that's, you know, having enough people to fill a van so anyway standing out in front of a uh, the other people's convention and holding a news conference and and screaming and yelling seems to be a act of desperation and i'm not sure if uh, this bodes well for the party 
uh, while the well the prime, uh, prime minister is overseas with his son, and um, and, and 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 you know at the Indo Pacific uh, uh, trade talks, and now the G twenty. And, and it looks like he's, you know, grooming another uh, generation of prime minister and they're wa- walking around in the wonky costumes again. So it, it's very, very bizarre what is going on in the world of uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, but um, uh, again, just, the, the, you know, the minister standing out today and screaming and yelling in front of uh, the other party's convention certainly does seem like a desperate, desperate uh, plea. And again, it's just, you know. Uh, I guess if the liberals aren't elected, the rest of the planet burns. You know, I think politicians really forget that, you know, Canada is pretty much a centrist country. Nobody belongs. Most people, I shouldn't say that. Most people don't belong to any sort of political party. Many like me have voted for all three at one time or another. And, you know, it goes left for too long. Then we take it right. It goes right for too long. Then we take it left. Then it goes left for too long. Then we take it right. And, you know, it's funny listening to the liberals talk about, well, I think we got a communication problem. There's no communication problem. If there's one thing the prime minister has down pat, it's communication. The man's Mr. Charisma, the, sh- the socks, the, the, the smile, the hair, all of that stuff. The feminist. I'm a feminist. You know, all of that. He, he's a great communicator. He has resonated with the people in the past. It's just now he's out to lunch. So I heart, and, the, and then the other one is like, well, they're getting tired. Everybody's getting tired. You know, after this time in, in office, people get tired of you. Well, not if you're doing the right job and they're happy with you. So it, it, it's kind of funny that the liberals are just having an, a really hard time admitting to where they are and therefore an even more impossible time of turning the, the Titanic around uh, before the next election. But uh, it is going to be fascinating to watch all of this. And, you know, I, I think a great portion of the silent majority of the citizens in this country are all breathing a collective sigh of relief as the pendulum seem, you know, is seemingly swinging back towards the center, as opposed to the far left where the prime minister has taken it. I mean, you know, here's a guy that's taken the once mighty uh, left of center liberal party and, and jumped into bed with the NDP. And, 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 and then we are where we are. You know, we've been living a life of socialism for however many years. And, you know, we're tired of governments that are in our business but aren't managing our business. (laughs) It's, you know, enough of of what I need to do with my kids and what I, you know, just run the damn country. Just make us some money. You know, that sort of thing. Housing, cost of living, affordability. It just seems to be gone from our prime minister who's once again tromping around india with his son in 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 the in, in traditional garments it, it's bizarre to watch uh and i have a feeling uh, it, it's 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 only going to get better or worse no matter which which way you look at it let's bring in tim potasic co-owner sonic onion Records, super crawl productions because beer uh because beer festival mills hardware and bridge works tim potasic is here now tim thanks for the time hope you're well i'm great thank you uh so far okay before we get to super crawl and I, this is just because you know i'm an i'm an ultimate fan bridge works going to be hosting one of the junk house shows for their yeah. uh, big anniversary coming up i just saw that on social media very excited about that uh and that i believe it's december 1st that happens is that accurate i believe that's accurate yeah i know we just announced the ticket today it was good of tom to want his ticket launched on the day we're setting up our big festival <laughs> 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 love that guy 
<laughs> well, you know, when you're all jumping in front of a microphone, you might as well share all the stories. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that much later. Great to see, though. I'm very excited about that. All right. So I was on the uh, web page for uh, Super Crawl today. And the reason is because is I'm doing some research because it will be the answer for our Hammerhead trivia question today. So anybody that's listening, write that down and be back here uh, after five o'clock. But what I love about this, a team of Hamilton artists and community builders founded Super Crawl in 2009 out of a desire to showcase the city's cultural vibrancy and eclectic arts landscape. Over the first decade, Supercrawl has successfully evolved from a modest arts-based single-day occurrence to a multi-day event with national, international profile and attendance uh, uh, attendance steadily going up 275,000 in 2022. Man, I remember you coming on and talking about this when it first all started, and here's what we're trying to do. Tim, as you take a step back, you must be incredibly proud of what you and the crew have done we, yeah we have a great team and it's a great community in hamilton that has stepped up to support what we we're doing when it was when it was little you know really great community that that uh, got behind it and has continued to stay behind it and and uh you know pass the they're they're our best marketing tool right our fans and they yeah. the fans that come to this event they just keep talking about how great it is and it just keeps making it bigger and bigger all right. What are you doing now? It sounds like, you know, staging's being loaded in, all that sort of stuff. I'm trying to paint a romantic picture here, but what is going on? What are you doing now? <laughs> I'm putting out some fires, to be honest, not literal fires, <laughs> but just community, community concerns, let's just say. So that's usually what happens on Friday. We do a lot of setup on Thursday, and then Friday is the go time, and then there's inevitably some things that we have to make some tweaks to, uh, to work well with our community, and we do our best. All right. And I guess like anything, it's hard to keep everybody completely happy. So uh, talk about this year, how excited you are and, and, and what you've got going on. Oh, so much. Um, I'm in the art zone right now, actually, right beside the fun house that's being built and uh, installations that are being built for tonight. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about all our art. I'm really excited about fashion and our drag shows and the fashion shows that happen. Uh, we have a really unique theater performance that's happening five times over the weekend at 7.30 on today, tomorrow, and Sunday, and then 11 on Saturday. Uh, it's just a unique performance that uh, an artist in a bubble, basically, is all I could say. And it's just it's super cool. It's fun. Um, and a little bit of interaction with the artist in the bubble, too. So uh, people will really enjoy it. It's quite unique. And then... You know, 80 bands, I think we have something, 70 to 80 artists performing on stage. So Broken Social Scene's sound checking right now. Uh, they'll be on tonight. And just so many bands, there's too many to talk about. But Friday's action-packed rock. Saturday is uh, an amazing hip-hop uh, lineup on our main stage and uh, Americana lineup on our main stage. And then on Sunday, we bring it down like we always do. Just a more, a more chill day with the artists that we have on Sunday are always on the music stages are all always just a little bit more. It's not full on, you know, crazy light show and rock show. It's more subdued and uh, and calm, calm the audience down for Sunday to send them back to work on Monday. <laughs> that, that, you know, you've got every aspect of this covered by now. It's hilarious. Uh, you can tell it's not your first rodeo. Um, what, talk about what this has done for Hamilton, because, you know, when you say Super Crawl, everybody knows what it is. It's Hamilton. They know what, what this festival and, and how eclectic it is. And, and just it's just it's bizarre. It's, there's everything going on. How has that and, and the personality of Hamilton shaped this festival? 
I just think it's, you know, there was a gap in what was happening in the city, you know, with, there was no urban street festival um, at the time when we started Supercrawl. And, you know, that was part of a gap filling mechanism that we thought maybe people would really like this, you know, closed streets are really cool. They're just fun to walk down, even if there's nothing happening on them. But once you start to animate them and you put art and music and it's super, you know, fun and cool and lots of things for people to do and buy and see, uh, you know, people just get behind it and get really excited by it. So, um, you know, that's just the, the evolution of where it's come. And now it's like at a point where we don't know how to really make it bigger. We're still trying, <laughs> but uh, we're well, taking up as much footprint as we can. Well, and again, you know, is that really the idea? Is that needed? I mean, or is that a discussion to be had later? You don't know. I mean, I, like this is always, you know, overuse of word organic, but, it, you know, it, it kind of is obvious which direction it's supposed to go in, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's not about getting bigger. It's about the quality of what we're providing. So we just want to continue to like evolve and bring cool, unique things to Hamilton and Hamilton audiences. That was always the point. It's like, you're going to go and see the band, you know, but you're also going to go and see maybe 10 bands you don't know. And you're going to see art installations that you would never see otherwise. And they're cool local artists that are creating them. So just opens doors. I mean, I've always been one of those people that didn't, you know, didn't realize how deep all these different communities are in Hamilton, but the really deep uh, cultural community we have here and so many talented folks. So we just want to take the opportunity to try to uh, open people's eyes to as many of them as we possibly can. Okay, uh, Tim, a real f- a quick uh, logistics, the, the highlights where, you know, this is on now. Continue. Uh, we start at 6 tonight and uh, 6 to well, 1 a.m. Basically, most things are shut down. Uh, tomorrow is uh, noon to 1 a.m. and Sunday is noon to 8. And logistically, I always like to say, if you're coming from the east, park on the east. If you're coming from the west, park on the west. Do not cross <laughs> James Street because um, uh, you'll just run into traffic. So there's tons of parking. There's tons of HSR scooters, uh, Sobe bikes, your own bike. Go. There's so many ways to get here. So I'd urge uh, your feet. I'd urge you to use public transit as best as you can uh, to get down to the festival. It's a, it's a walking festival, so really fun. Bring your dog, bring your kids, bring your, fa- your folks, bring everybody. Um, just come. There's something for everyone. Tim Pottisett, co-owner of Sonic Onion Records, Supercrawl Productions, Because Beer Festival, Mills Hardware, Bridge Works as well. Supercrawl this weekend, uh, getting off officially at 6 o'clock tonight. And if you've never been, you got to go experience it. Tim, good luck with this year's event. We'll chat later. Thanks. Bye. I want to read you a note, and and I wrote, and I'm debating whether to send this to the LCBO. I put it up on our uh, local neighborhood social media page, and that's how much what I saw last night really bothered me. And I understand it. I get it. I understand why some of these rules are in place, but this was just such an asinine behavior and display. It it, it, it just I wrote this. I feel so bad for the mother of two girls aged six and eight-ish who were publicly humiliated at a local LCBO, uh, LCBO store. I had to write this note. Around 6.30 today, I was making a purchase uh, when in line. Uh, next to me, a mother and her two daughters approached their counter. Their cashier said, I cannot complete the sale as the little girl has touched the product. Helping her mother by lifting a box of wine onto the counter, which is against store policy, as we all know... But it's not law. The mother, myself, and over a dozen or so customers Thursday night waiting in their COVID time queue were stunned 
What do you want me to do, she said. In a very somewhat polite message, leave. No sale for you. She left the line while everybody gasped, what country are we in? I understand protocol and the harms of underage drinking, but we are told LCBO employees are the consummate professionals, highly trained. No one else can do this job. Therefore, I find it hard to believe we cannot tell the difference between teens buying booze for underage teens versus a mother and her two helpful young daughters. This was an absolute disgrace and not the first time I've heard of this. Some say rules are rules. Well, who made this one? Some may say the employee is just doing the job. And they have a point. But this is total, bizarre authoritarianism. No wonder people are looking for other options than this archaic, woke monopoly. I'm very sorry I didn't at least speak up and offer to pay for her purchase. But I was so stunned. Or at least help stop this embarrassment in some way. So to the mother of two, please accept my sincere apology. I should have said something. What you had to endure in front of the customers and your two beautiful daughters was completely unacceptable and totally uncalled for. We now live in a world of extremes. It's sad, as we have way more in common than that. And, you know, again, I, it bothered me all night. As I, you know, I, I felt like going back. And I, no, 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 calm down, calm down. But it, it just goes to show how... I don't know. Um, rules get misinterpreted. Uh, we need a little rule to make sure there's no underage drinking and we go way over the top. Or is it a presumption of guilt before anybody knows anything about you? I don't know, but I think Canadians are kind of getting tired of this stuff. Let's get the business side of this. Marvin Ryder, professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University. He's here now. Marvin, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm fine, thanks. Marvin, I know rules are rules, and there's a reason for this. Can you shed any light on this whatsoever? Well, I'm going to say no, I can't, because obviously I wasn't there and, and, and give you a second set of eyes. But what, what you aren't aware of is what might have happened hours or in a shift before or two shifts before, three shifts before. So this employee, perhaps... Uh, had a, a similar problem like this yesterday or the day before or the day before that and did the what you'd call the right thing on this matter and uh, maybe he was supervised a supervisor came up and reprimanded him for doing this hey you know what the policy is you mm -hmm. should not have served that person it's a bit like being a bus driver there's a simple rule on the buses nobody rides for free but if you had a, it was at nighttime and there's somebody who wants to get on the bus because they're fearful for their their health and safety, you'd like to think the bus driver could make an exception and say, well, come on, take shelter, you know, we'll, we'll figure out a way to do this, but let's get you out of harm's way. However, sometimes these employees have been reprimanded for doing what you would say is the right thing here. So then the next time something like that happens, well, I'm sorry, you know, I was told in that mm. circumstance, that's what I do. And that, that is the shame of it, that we live in a world now where everything is getting so black and white and there is no room for gray. But in fairness to that employee or even that branch, they may have been audited. They may have been reprimanded by somebody else for not doing it. You know what the rules are. If children are touching something, you cannot process it. Um, and so I, I, I'm not sure who you actually then blame in all of this. Uh, I get it. I, you know, I get it. The, but that's not the issue. Again, the employee just doing their jobs. The issue is why can't you 
be responsible in selling alcohol without going way over the top. At the end of the day, Marvin, and I'll say it quite clearly, it's a stupid policy. I mean, again, if these are such the trained professionals that they're the only ones that can sell it, um, you, you have to know the difference between what a teenager is doing and what a, uh, parents are. And again, I'm not blame, blaming the employee, but this policy, who does it help? Who does it protect? This has just victimized somebody in front of the whole store, in front of her two daughters. I hear that, and I would, again, I would agree with you. If I was the manager, I would have tried to come out. I probably would have tried to intervene in some way to help out. But just, again, to be clear on this, there are mature-looking 8-year-olds. There are 8-year-olds who look 12. There are 12-year-olds who look 16. There are 12-year-olds who look 18. Uh, where, you know, how do you know? And so there has to be some rule. My bottom line for most people is don't bring children into an LCBO. Uh, what about if it's your parent? Uh, you're the parent here. I mean, like, again, um, or here's a better thing. Don't bring your kids into the LCBO. If it's that case, why do they let them into the LCBO? Fair enough. That's a good question right there. If that's the rule that really there shouldn't be children in the LCBO or anyone who I think we'd call them a minor would be the technical term here, uh, then why, why were they let in? And possibly, again, it's because given the staff they had, nobody noticed them until it was too late. Then the hope was, well, maybe the children will be unobtrusive and stay out of the road. It, it is. These are judgment calls, and and I understand exactly what you're saying. Does it make perfect sense for this rule? If it is, you need to explain this to somebody. You need to be clear. Maybe post what these rules are on the door. No underage people allowed inside. And then if somebody were to break that rule, they would then say, oh, right, oh, you see? Oh, yeah, I see that's the rule. Sorry, I didn't mean to. But uh, we just we need something, and the problem is with the judgment call. Then it, it becomes well, you did that person a favor just because you knew that family, mm. you did somebody a favor. It it is hard in anything to do with the public to come up with these rules that are fairly applied. Uh, is it illegal for a minor to touch a bottle of alcohol? So I don't think the answer to that is yes. Uh, but in terms of the vending of the selling of alcohol. Uh, what if uh, this helpful little girl tried to move this box of wine and uh, it slipped and it hit the floor, uh, splattered in a thousand different pieces? Oh, well, you know, you shouldn't have. What if it had been a glass bottle and then it shattered? What if it had been a jar of pickles or peanut butter or jam? (laughs) No, correct. I hear you. Exactly the same thing. So here you have a, a little girl who's trying to be helpful, but maybe that was not the time for her to be helpful. Maybe this is where the mother would say, no, honey, I have it myself, and I'll, I'll take ownership of this situation. Uh, you know, I appreciate it, but no. It, the, again, judgment calls all over the place. And I always try to suggest when I train people in, in consumer behavior and also in consumer service is uh, try not to embarrass them in front of everybody. If they yeah. have done something wrong, take them aside, perhaps after the transaction was done, and say, now, ma'am, just so you know, this should not have happened. This was wrong. Next time, you'll know better for that. Uh, we're going to let it slide this time, but you need to know. You're absolutely right again. The LCBO wants to make money. If you don't serve these customers well, then they're going to go to other sources, buy from other places, uh, maybe your grocery store, something like that. It doesn't help the LCBO out. So you try not, generally speaking, to embarrass a customer in front of others. I should have mentioned the cashier actually bent down and talked to the little girl and said, are you going to drink that? That's what got my attention. I just thought it was absolutely incredible. Anyway, Marvin, totally great points. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Marvin Ryder, professor at Group School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, thank you. Take care. Have a glass of wine.
Oh, okay. If you insist, Marvin. Canadian millennials are nearly twice as likely to vote for Pierre Polyev as conservatives than Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's governing liberals, according to a new poll from Abacus Data. The new online survey uh, was published and said that if an election was held today uh, among uh, just the younger people, meaning Gen Z and millennials, that uh, the liberals would fall to third-party status. To talk more about all of this, Xkana Kirschkom is with us, Director, Strategy and Insights at Abacus Data, and here now. Now, Oksana, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here today. So uh, are you surprised at how quickly this cohort has changed, this demographic has uh, has changed? Just looking at the numbers for, for them, I think certainly. But if we look at sort of the data for Canadians overall, I mean, young people are, are leading the trend, yes. Um, but but there is a trend among all Canadians nonetheless. It seems that um, this has been the, the summer for conservatives and, and not the summer for the liberals. How do you explain it? Yeah, so I think that um, there hasn't really been one particular sort of instance that's really been bringing them down. But I think um, that's in part part of the problem and that there hasn't really been anything that Canadians can point to good or bad when we ask about um, whether or not the government has a plan to tackle the top issues. Most people say they don't. Um, they've had time. They've been in government for many years um, and they've been pretty quiet all summer as the Conservatives have started really ramping up um, what seems like a bit of a, a pre-election campaign. Um, bust. So uh, I think that there's really sort of momentum building for one party and, and really falling for another. So it, you've, we all have seen over in various polls uh, over the last little while, although it has been, as you mentioned, a, a summer phenomenon, uh, this trend continue, uh, continue to deepen. How difficult, how likely is it that they're going to be able to turn that ship around? I mean, at this point, I think they need they need a lot to, to move that ship. I mean, the House is returning. So there is the uh, assumption that that action will start to happen. I think that's that's largely why they've fallen so much in the summers that folks just haven't seen anything happen. I mean, the, the federal liberals came out and, and said that they don't um, have a, a plan or, or responsibility to, to tackle one of the most important issues in the country being housing. And so there mm. is an opportunity to, to get back on and, and say you have a plan and get to work. Um, it's possible when they return in the fall, but I think only time will tell if they actually uh, go down that path. It's funny because when we all get caught up in, you know, the the team politics of it all and this versus that, and, and, and again, that division has seemed to widen uh, as time goes by. Um, but but it seems that many uh, pundits or, or, or politicians uh, don't realize that Canadians really don't necessarily vote per team. And I think we might be seeing that now. This is less about who we want in and more about who we don't want in. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, I think we're we're headed into what um, I think will be a bit of a change election. And you're exactly right. It's that um, people might not know who they want, but they certainly know who they don't want. And does that make it more difficult to change the tra uh, trajectory? Uh, I think for for um, the Liberals, not necessarily. I mean, they have the the sort of hypothetical leg up in that they're in government right now. They have more of a platform. They have the ability to to be quoted in, in favorable ways, but they really need to put the action in and, and really get to work on the issues that people have said time and time again that they care about, um, especially young people. Uh, millennials were, were the age cohort that really brought the Liberals to power in the first place, and uh, we can see that they've really turned on the Liberals, so that's a, a big warning sign for them.
Is is there, um, uh, you know, we know that possibly it could be 2025 before there is another election, unless, of course, the NDP decide to pull the plug on all of this. Uh, is that too long a period? Is that long enough? Is that does that just make, you know, a sever- a, a, a festering wound grow worse? Uh, is it a long period of time? Would it be better if it was shorter? I think uh, the Liberals would like a little, at least a little bit of time to, to try and turn what seems to be a, a plummeting um, display in, in the polls a little bit around and, and see. But again, it really comes down to can they sort of put action to, to some of the words or even put words out there um, that, that say they're doing things. I think if, if an election is, is further out, that gives potential for other sort of uh, extenuating circumstances to uh, calm down. I mean, cost of living, um, inflation, rising interest rates, I think those have certainly heightened how Canadians are feeling right now. So if that environment uh, can look better in 2025, then perhaps the Liberals have a, a better winning chance then. But I mean, it, it really does depend on on how much action they can put forward, if the NDP still support them, um, and how much Canadians continue to say they're ready for change. Oksana Kirschkam with us, Director of Strategy and Insights, Abacus Data, the latest from Abacus, uh, the Millennials, Gen Z, less likely to vote or more likely to vote for Pierre Polyev's Conservatives than Justin Trudeau's Liberals. Oksana, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. There is a a federal conservative convention in Quebec City. Many may not even know that that's happening. Unless, of course... Um, you're following the liberals who are camping out in front of it. I played you a clip of uh, the environment environment minister uh, screaming and yelling on the steps of the convention because they weren't invited. <laughs> it, it is quite an incredible uh, act, I believe, of desperation when uh, two very damaging polls yesterday, uh, one from Angus Reed and one from Angus, or sorry, uh, Abacus, um, suggested that um, th- that they're not doing well, especially with young people. And if the millennials and Gen Z voted today, that the liberals would be in third party status. Uh, it's a different approach, and it's, I guess, a Hail Mary pass. Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert, and here now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Yes, I am, Scott. Thanks for having me on today. So, you know, I, I don't know if you heard the clip, and if you haven't, we'll play it for you. But, um, you know, he was asked, Gibo, the environment minister, why he's on the steps of where the convention is, the, the conservative convention. And he said, I think we're here because um, normally when we do these things, we do it this way, and basically because they didn't get invited. Um, and, and then goes on to say that this person wasn't invited. That per- It's like every single one of these conventions are completely different. Is this an act of desperation? Gosh, it really seems that way. I'm, I'm so surprised that this went in, in this direction. I think that you know, maybe when the liberals looked at the looked at the polls and they saw that they were really down with their younger cohort, they thought, well, you know, they like to protest. They like it when people stand up, you know, when the government stands up on their behalf. So, you know what, Stephen, go, go to Quebec City, go to stand on the steps where they're having the convention and make a bit of disturbance. And let's get some people to help you out that are uh, like minded individuals and let's take a stand. But it doesn't quite come off like that. And it actually looks sort of desperate. I, I'm surprised that anybody thought that this was a really good idea 
in the first place. And then after, uh, you know, he, he goes on about climate change and pointing to what's happening in British Columbia and saying that the Conservatives don't have a plan, of which polyev has been on my show three times telling me what his plan is. Um, and, and he just keeps banging the climate change drum as if, you know, it's, it's chicken little and the sky is falling here. And I, I don't, I think everybody in Canada knows about climate change. I think we're all very sensitive to it and, and, and want to find a solution. But I think people are realizing that what they're doing isn't working. It's just raising more money for the conservatives, but they, they just don't seem to accept that. Well, you know, it's very interesting because what I've started to see now in my feed are some very direct uh, anti-Polyev attack uh, ads. And I don't know, I haven't seen them on TV, but I've certainly seen them on social media, which is, you know, where this sort of a younger cohort uh, might be and might see them. And they do talk about some very hot button issues. Like, for example, Pierre Polyev won't take care of women's health. He won't do this. He won't do that. And I thought, wow, this is really getting out of the gate fast. And I guess there's two ways, two schools of thought on that, Scott. You can either wait till it's actually an election and then start all of your uh, ad buys. Or because the conservatives have been having this, you know, a uh, bit of a, uh, not bit, a very large strategy of here's Pierre Polyever. Let me introduce you to Pierre Polyever. And so they have like a long runway until a potential next federal election is called. So the, so the liberals are basically now answering that with, with what can only be deemed attack ads. So it's not like, here's what we're going to still do for you. And here's what we've, prote- here's the rights that we've protected of yours. It's, They've dispensed with that, thinking that perhaps that is not hard hitting enough and gone straight on the attack. So when you look at that and then you look at this in juxtaposition with what Guibault did today, this strategy is kind of of all starting to make sense. That being said, um, it's as if to the left, if the right gets elected, it's the end of the world. It's if they don't remember, if you go back in history, we vote left, we vote right. We vote left, we vote right, we vote left, we vote right, Uh, largely to keep the party in the center. Uh, And it seems that when the liberals are desperate, it's, oh, they're going to take your abortion rights away. Oh, it's uh, an attack on women. Uh, Oh, it's climate change. Oh, it's handguns. It's like it's the same BS all the time. And I think people are seeing that. Well, I think that, okay, you might call some of it BS, but I mean, you mentioned some hot button issues that actually sort of trigger me a little bit. I don't mean to say trigger in in that type of like, ooh, I'm triggered type of thing. But, you know, when you talk about abortion rights and when you talk about rights on women's health, you know, that that sort of perks up my ears. So do I think that people see through that as a negative? Well, it might be a negative on the conservatives, but I don't know how much more of a positive it would be for the liberals. So, I mean, what they've but, essentially but, done, Scott, is sort of play, really play their hand. And they've come up with the five issues that they're really going to hammer uh, Polyev and the conservatives on from now going forward. Alyssa, and you and I are yeah, both old and you and I are both old enough to remember uh, uh, the abortion issue and the Morgenthaler case and all of that. And and since that is all broke out in the seventies, have we ever gone backwards? Like this is just such a pile of crap. Well, I would have to say, have we? And I understand. Backwards? And yeah, I understand. I mean, we've seen a whole country go backwards. And I don't know if we want to get into not, that. But yeah. Not, and that's not where they're, they're going to point sec. their fingers, Scott. Uh, Alyssa, Alyssa, you could point to a, a third world country in the Middle East that does the same thing. It ain't us. 
Yes, but you know what? When you look at the south of the border, Scott, that is us. There's a mix of people. It's a larger yeah. population, but you know, it's that that believe in it, that don't believe in it. And when you see how a government can jump on that and restrict your rights to have an abortion as a woman, then you then that is a very, very close example and a very quote unquote handy example, Scott, for the liberals to jump on to really, you know, articulate their point. So, you know, maybe this is not the best uh, talking point to be talking about that when you're talking about the differences of the parties. But yeah, do I, did I ever think what could happen in the States ever happen with respect to abortion? No. Is it happening? Yes. So that might not be the best point to sort of pin all of this on. Okay. I you know. know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just, it's Friday. the same. It's the <laughs> same. <laughs> All right. That's a good point. Hey, do you got any Prosecco handy? <laughs> Let's All do right. It. <laughs> uh, Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. Always fun, Alyssa. Thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. And you too, Scott. Thanks for having me. Don't go away. We're coming right back. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. We've certainly heard uh, about uh, most of the major or a lot of the major polling uh, organizations in Canada uh, painting not too rosy a picture for our federal liberals. And uh, a lot of that around affordability, housing and and even uh, younger demographics that uh, that have changed their ways. Let's bring in Nick Nanos, chief data scientist, founder, Nanos Research and is with us now. Nick, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. I'm fine, thanks, and great to join you and all your listeners. Man, you you guys and girls must be just burning it up trying to follow this and keep up because it it is so fluid. Are you surprised how quickly the tide has turned for Justin Trudeau? Well, you know, the thing is, is that the conservatives have had a sustained advantage over a prolonged period of time, and there hasn't been any good news. Like, do you hear crickets? There hasn't been any good news for the liberals in quite a long Mm. time, you know. Their budget didn't move the numbers. They had a state visit from Joe Biden, didn't move the numbers. And, uh, you know, so the reality is, is that the it doesn't matter. Even with the cabinet shuffle, the liberals haven't been able to move the numbers. You know, four weeks ago, we in the nanos tracking, we had the conservatives with about a nine point lead. That has been diminishing, actually, interestingly, because we do polling every week. We're the one pollster that does polling every week. Um after the announcement of the separation, at the separation that Liberals ha- were behind by nine points, they've been slowly closing the gap uh, since then. So, but the fact of the matter is, is that if you're Pierre Poilier, if you got to be, you got to be happy with how the polling numbers have looked for the last couple months. Um, a, a next question before we get to what you guys have actually discovered here. Um, they say two years before the next federal election. Is this too early? Is this runway for Polly Ever to build up his brand? And what uh, what can happen or even uh, NDP calling it quits? Uh, where do you see this going? How long can they sustain this? Can they turn this around without some sort of major blip? Well, you know, the thing is, is uh, for the conservatives, you know, in my experience, at least governments defeat themselves. So for the conservatives, they basically have yeah. to make sure that they don't make a mistake. That's why they have to get through this policy convention uh, and try to make it, if you're Pierre Poiliev, try to make it as much of an infomercial as possible for the conservative movement so that Canadians can see them as a government in waiting. What the liberals are probably hoping for is for something to go wrong, for there to be some sort of glitch or controversy in order to uh, undermine the conservative narrative. But you know, the thing is, is people are right. The one poll that counts 
is the one on election day. Mm-hmm. So being ahead two years out, so what? Because a lot can happen between now and when the election will occur. All right. Obviously, housing, Nick, is a, a huge issue, especially with the younger cohort and such. Um, and, and interesting polling there that have reflected in immigration. And it's it's sad, really, because it makes Canadians look as if they're not into immigration, whereas most of us are tied to it in some way. Yeah. Um, but it's just we we just simply have been caught with our pants down here. and We're not ready uh, for it or the amount that have come in. So talk about the numbers that uh, people say, hey, we should maybe tap the brakes here. Well, you know, the the thing is, is that we know from a long-term perspective that Canadians are generally supportive of immigration. They are mm-hmm. especially supportive of immigration when it's orderly and stuff like that. But what we're seeing right now is a collision between housing affordability and bringing more new individuals or new Canadians into the into the country. Because you know what? It doesn't take anyone who's a policy expert to figure out, yeah, you want to bring 500,000, 600,000, 900,000 uh, new Canadians and, and foreign students into the country. Well, where are they going to live? And uh, and I think that's the that's the that's the challenge that the Liberals have. The, the challenge is not the fact that they're bringing in more new Canadians. The challenge is is that it's looking disorderly because there's no place for these individuals to live. And for when they come into the when they come into Canada, they basically create even more pressure and demand on the housing system. And as a result, rents are going up. And uh, and the cost of uh, cost of housing is going up. It's it's been fascinating to watch the whole housing issue because for years, 10, 20, like this, like the healthcare thing before the pandemic, the problems were here long before where we are now. And it seems for the longest time, nobody wanted to build. Build was a bad word. Urban sprawl causes environmental damage. La la la. Now, in the last provincial election, all all three major four major political parties saying they're going to build over a million homes. Uh, You're 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 uh, you're listing uh, tax incentives from government to build rentals and such uh we we it, it looks as if we're looking to make up for lost ground here and governments that are providing incentive incentives for people to build yeah actually canadians want everything to happen they want mortgage rates to go down right especially mm. if you're under 35 years of age you're more likely to want that but uh you know the thing is is you're going to want governments to encourage not just building more houses but also uh make sure that more affordable or subsidized housing comes in so it's it's not just an issue of um, building more housing, although that's definitely a cornerstone of what needs to be done. For a lot of Canadians who are in the market, you know, especially if you're on a floating mortgage, man, you're just getting crushed if yeah. your uh, rates moving around over the last while because you know what you're paying in interest payments is uh, much higher uh, than it has been historically, at least at, over the last eight to ten years. So. Building more homes, more subsidized housing, and also something on interest rates in order to help people who are carrying a mortgage or trying to get into the market. All right. I want to touch on what's happening here provincially, Nick, with the green belt and such. We're hearing uh, uh, Ford's numbers are down. Uh, 64% of Canadians don't want uh, any involvement in the green belt. How do we balance the housing crisis and the green belt debate, which obviously we haven't built houses for 10, 20, 30 years. This debate is going to continue, I think, for another 10 to 20, 30 years. What it seems to have done, Nick, is it's generated interest in people asking questions. Why that 20 to 40 years worth of land, which we all know is available before we get into the green belt, why has that not been developed and why do we have a shortage? Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that we know that Canada is very blessed with lots of land, especially compared to basically any other country, right? Because yeah. of our massive landmass. Um, but 
uh, I think the reality is, is that Canadians are still uh, connected to preserving some sort of green space. And they figure that, you know, we should be either building within existing footprints for cities or building outside of the green space in order to protect that. And I think they get a little nervous whenever they see something like that happen. And uh, as a surprise, and not, no, as a result, that is, you know, for the Ford government, they've just been hammered over this, especially related to uh, questions and investigations related to some, uh, you know, land transactions that do not reflect very well on the Ford government. It seems with this and many discussions, Nick, it's a land of extremes. Either you're way over on that side or you're way over on this side. Uh, can we do both? Can we not preserve our natural heritage and build the homes that people need for their kids? I think I think it's possible. But, you know, the thing is, is that we have to have things and people have to actually make a living wage. Also, we need uh, and I think this is where, you know, we ask Canadians uh, what their top national issues concern is, you know, and inflation is at the top, jobs in the economy. People want to know, you know, where are the jobs going to come from that will allow us to pay our bills and actually afford homes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they're looking to all political parties to advance a narrative and a plan on, you know, how are we going to be able to have jobs that create a living wage so that we can compete globally. Nick Nano's with us, Chief Data Scientist, founder of Nano's Research, uh, polling all over the place, and it's fascinating times, uh, what's going on in Canada. Nick, thanks so much for the time. Be well. I find this stuff fascinating. It's interesting to see how quickly it changed. Have yourself a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. G20 is now on. The uh, Prime Minister is there in India in full costume. He's brought his son along, too, which I, I, I don't know. What, uh, do you do that? Do you bring? Is it bring your kid to work day? Or maybe he's launching the next generation of prime minister uh, right in front of us here. Uh, but two people that aren't there, the Chinese president and the Russian president, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, they have skipped out. Uh, I think if Putin goes, he'll get arrested because he's uh, wanted for war crimes. And Xi Jinping, I don't, I'm in trouble at the top. Uh, let's bring in Elliot Tepper, emeritus professor of political science, Carleton University. Elliot, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Uh, thank you. Same to you, Scott. So am I reasonably accurate why these two men are not uh, there? Putin would get arrested and the other in, in a little bit of hot water at home. Well, there's some mysteries here. We can only speculate. We have nothing official on the record on this. Uh, the, to start with uh, the case of Mr. Putin, India is not a signatory to the International Criminal Court. Uh, he could not, uh, Mr. Putin could not attend the South African ah. BRICS conference because South Africa really wanted him there and went out, tried to get laws passed in their parliament, but no luck. Uh, so he couldn't travel there. But uh, he could have, if he wanted, I guess, to go to India. But there are a lot of other countries who are in attendance uh, where an arrest warrant could be, uh, could be warranted, so to speak. But it is a mystery. And uh, I think one of the things we should really emphasize here is the difference in relationship that India has with Mr. Putin and with Russia and with China, because as you said, uh, Xi Jinping is also not coming. So what's going on here? And I think the Russian side is more mysterious in a sense, unless he indeed is worried about being arrested. That's always a possibility uh, that we don't know about. Maybe he doesn't think this is a good time to leave home and turn his back on the people at home. After all, we just had the Prigozhin matter, and there's a lot of concern about factional fighting and can, can the boss really uh, leave home at this point? But India and, and Russia have a very long and 
deep relationship, good relationship, going right back to the independence period. The fact that he's uh, not coming to India, I think, is more of a surprise than Mr. Putin, than uh, Xi Jinping. India uh, was manufacturing MiG-29s under license when the rest of the Soviet Union didn't have it. Uh, India has received diplomatic backing by Russia for something crucial to them, which is the whole Kashmir issue. And that's, that's central to their existence. And much of uh, India's very uh, large military apparatus also originated over a long period of time and deeply uh, with Russia. These are Russian arms. There's some diversification now. But the fact that this deep relationship is not sufficient to bring Mr. Uh, uh, Putin to, to uh, Mr. Modi is very important. And we have to emphasize here, moving on now to Xi Jinping, the other side of it, that this is a way uh, for Xi Jinping, in effect, to spoil India's party. India really wants to make a big splash as host of this G20. They've been hosting events in every single state in India. They've renovated the capital. <laughs> They've eliminated a lot of the poverty by kicking it out of, out of view. They've, uh, this was supposed to be a big, big moment for Modi, and uh, he does have an election coming. It's also been a big moment for him to impress not only that India is the coming power in the world, but that his form of Indianness, his Hindutva, his, his uh, Hindu superiority, that was also a subtext of this big party. And now Xi Jinping has no interest whatsoever in helping Mr. Modi really emerge as a global leader. And so he's going, I think, to spoil the party. It's interesting you use the word party, Elliot, because that's exactly what I have written in front of me. India throws a party, Russia and China stay home. So how does India feel about this on both occasions? Well, India, of course, will put a brave face on it, no matter what. Uh, the, uh, the speculation on why Xi Jinping isn't coming is interesting. The most obvious is the one I've, I'm indicating. The most visible is that these two countries, unlike the situation with Russia, I mean, right now, Russia is exporting huge quantities of their banned oil to India, which is refining it in Indian refineries and selling it to Europe, among other places. So this is a very deep relationship. But uh, Xi Jinping, on the other hand, we know, has uh, no love lost for an emerging India. They recently fought battles along this uh, line of control. They actually face each other in physical confrontation. Uh, <laughs> Just before the ASEAN summit, China released once again one of their own famous maps, claiming ownership of much of the South China Sea, but also a major state within India, Pradesh, but also in the Oxide Chin. And there has been fighting along the actual line of control. So these are competitors. And right now, Mr. Modi has bragging rights because, as we know, Xi Jinping's China is in economic difficulties. The uh, Population demographics have shifted. India is now the world's largest state in terms of, of population. And unlike China, they have a robust economic growth rate, 6 or 7%. So they are leaders in that sense in the world. So why did Mr. Um, Xi Jinping not come? Well, why not spoil the party? But also, there's speculation, Scott, that it's not a good time for him to be leaving the country either. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of mysterious things happening back home.
in China. So maybe he feels it's a good time for him not to go anywhere. Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, G20 Summit underway in India and China and Russia, not at the party. Elliot, as always, thanks for the time. Have yourself a great weekend. Be well. Thank you. Same to you, Scott. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. We're here because contrary to convention that we have in, in Canada, during our, our own convention uh, last, last spring, we invited all political parties to come as observers. This was denied to us here. Uh, in fact, it was denied to all political parties, not, 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 not just the Liberals. And as you know, even some media were denied, were denied access to, 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 to coming here. So um, I, I think that that's, why, that's why we're here. I think that's why we're here. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I don't know. We're there. Global's there. C- TV's there. Uh, CBC, I'm sure, is there. I, yeah, I am. Uh, that was the environment minister camping out in front of the uh, federal convention in Quebec City, which many probably didn't even know was going on. Uh, so we'll try to bring it to your attention. Helping us, Peter Gray, professor of political science, McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. And thanks. Hope you're well, too. So, Peter, your thoughts on the Liberals camping out at the, um, I shouldn't say camping out, that's not accurate, holding a news conference on the steps of where the convention is for the Conservative Party in Quebec City. Yeah, I mean, I think it certainly breaks with the typical Canadian political etiquette, um, where generally uh, parties (laughs) leave the other parties' conventions alone. You know, there may be staged some counter-programming somewhere else in the country to hope to draw some of the attention away from it. Uh, but, you know, in this instance, uh, you know, I think as you pointed out at the beginning, I'm not sure really what it does except, uh, you know, draw attention to the fact that this convention is happening, which probably is in the Conservatives' interest, and, uh, you know, make Mr. Gilbo look a bit like an unwanted party crasher, which uh, generally is is an odd look for, uh, for a sitting government, which you think would be wanting to uh, promote its own policies. It seems a little desperate to show up at somebody else's party and say, well, this is what we do at our party. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, uh, it's hard to know in this day and age how Canadians uh, deal with politics, because a lot of the old rules of how the parties dealt with each other seem to be, uh, you know, being cast aside. I mean, in the old days, leaders would uh, congratulate, you know, newly elected leaders of other parties, whereas now they just put out press releases, really, you know, junking whoever's been uh, elected. So, you know, a lot of those things go by the wayside. So what's maybe shocking to me isn't shocking to the average Canadian, but yeah, certainly the idea that uh, one party would show up at another party's convention and try to engage in a debate is uh, it seems to show a certain lack of respect for, uh, you know, the space that parties need to meet and come up with policies and, and determine what they're doing. All right. The Conservative Convention in Quebec City, I think we're on day two now. How how important is this to Pierre Polyev, the leader? Uh, what are you looking for in this? What have you noticed so far? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, any convention, uh, on the one hand, party leaders look for it for all the publicity they get. And they also are really worried that the members of their party are going to do things that will give them the publicity they don't want. And so I think especially for someone like Pierre Polyevre, something to watch is how does he handle uh, the more uh, traditional conservative side of his party? He's the first person elected leader of the new conservative party who doesn't actually have debts to to pay to that part of this party. Uh, but, you know, they've come with a number of uh, propositions that 
you know, potentially would be harder to sell with parts of the electorate. And so, you know, how does he manage them? Does he does he embrace them? Does he try to shut them down? Does he make a statement uh, in, in those terms? So that's one thing to look at. The other is, uh, I suspect, we'll be seeing uh, a rough outline of what are the main messages that Pierre Polyevre is going to be trying to win votes for in the next uh, year or so. Um, you know, because a, a convention is a period where a party leader tries to get consent from the party to to take a certain strategy. We saw that with Aaron O'Toole trying to say we have to change the way we talk about climate change. And the party said, no, we don't want to follow you on that. So it'll be interesting to see on what policies does Paul Evra, you know, make make a play in terms of how he's going to go and court Canadian votes in a manner that might not be entirely pleasing to uh, the conservative base. But are they willing to give him the space to do that? If, if that's what it takes to win an election. Uh, it seems whether it's provincially or federally, the Conservatives, uh, there's plenty of, of examples of them shooting themselves in the foot in the last mile or kilometre of any race. Uh, but, uh, can, they, can, they, can they go across the finish line without, without you know, tripping over their own feet? Well, I don't. I don't think any party really. Uh, you know, it's very rare that a party uh, has a. It's only in, in in retrospect that things are looked at as a cakewalk or the, a, a, a campaign without errors. But in Paul Yever's case, I think he has a, an issue in that. I think over the past summer, he has uh, seen a real uh, improvement in his polling numbers, even personally, in terms of the number of Canadians who see him favorably rather than negatively. Um, but we may not be seeing another election for over two years. So. There's a lot of expectations built up in him. People are paying much closer attention to him now, and and he probably has two years where he has to be kind of a bit flawless and, you know, deal with a lot of expectations that have been put on him. I mean, there's a a lot of conservatives who want really big changes if he's elected because they've been out of power now for almost uh, eight years. Um, But at the same time, those kinds of changes are maybe not the things that uh, make the conservatives electable. So he has kind of a two-year... wire act that you'll have to uh, perform in front of our eyes can't let you go without asking you peter uh justin trudeau is at the g20 in india shows up with his son again wearing traditional indian attire uh your thoughts is it it, is is, are these events you bring your kids to uh well i guess he was brought to a bunch of those as a child and you know whether that turned out well or not i guess we're still trying to figure out but um (laughs) Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, increasingly we have uh, leaders with kids, uh, you know, who bring them places. But, you know, it does seem uh, a kind of situation where it's a bit of a distraction, ultimately, from uh, what the prime minister should be focusing on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is it is a bit odd, but, you know, it's also the sort of Trudeau parenting style. And uh, I don't know, I guess if kids get a, three meals a day and enough sleep, we shouldn't be uh, too critical about how their parents <laughs> Or maybe we're looking at a third-generation PM. Well, there's too much nepotism in Canadian politics across all the parties, so I can only hope that uh, we we get uh, people from other families uh, leading parties. Uh, I think it's kind of healthier for our democracy. I would agree. Peter Gribb, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. Peter, as always, thanks for the time and insight. Have a great weekend. And you too. We have finally uh, have got the news that a public inquiry into foreign interference is finally taking shape and being called a justice appointed to oversee all of this uh, this week. Oddly enough, this was announced the same day that uh, two damaging polls came out uh, from one from Angus Reid, one from Abacus Data, uh, showing the federal uh, liberals in uh, not a very positive light. Uh, distraction? Not. Who knows? But that's the game. Duff 
Conacher with us, co-founder of Democracy Watch. He's here now. Duff, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So finally, uh, Duff, the public inquiry that everybody was talking about for so long is finally come about. Do you think it's a coincidence it was announced the same day that these polls came out or just coincidence? Uh, probably coincidence. They wouldn't know that these uh, independent polling companies were doing the, their polls and and uh, releasing the results of, of polls. They're not liberal, not inside uh, party polls by the liberals. Okay, your thoughts on where we are with this public inquiry? We've obviously waited a tremendously long time for this. Uh, a justice been appointed. What are your thoughts, first blush? Well, the best thing about it is that, uh, and it will hopefully set a precedent for all future inquiries, is that uh, the parties agreed on the terms of reference, the scope of the inquiry, and the choice of the inquiry commissioner. And that's how it should always be, because inquiries are always about the actions of government. And the government shouldn't be, as a result, the ruling party shouldn't be choosing the inquiry commissioners or setting the scope of inquiries, because they always have a conflict of interest and want to limit the scope and choose a lapdog who's going to roll over and say what they did was fine. So it's a great precedent, and hopefully it will uh, continue through future inquiries. Um, and the judge, I think, is perfectly fine for as a choice for inquiry commissioner. Uh, everyone seems to be giving the thumbs up for the justice. Um, many question why there's only one, uh, especially with the mandate expanded to include uh, interference by not only China, uh, but also other actors, whether it's Russia or, or Iran or what have you. Yeah, the main problem is not that there's only one. Uh, you know, three-person commissions, I think, are are the best practice model. But the main problem is the timeline. Um, the David Johnston, when he was the special rapporteur handpicked by his friend Trudeau, said that he, he reached conclusions even though he look, only looked at a large lake of an ocean of documents, which was something he did wrong. He never should have reached conclusions after only looking at one lake of documents within an ocean. But um, there is a lot of documents, and she's supposed to issue her findings on reviewing those documents by February. Uh, well, usually it takes a few months for an inquiry just to get up and running. So assuming she's not going to be fully staffed, uh, the justice and the commissioner is not going to be fully staffed until December. That only leaves them two months really to look at the documents, which is the same time period that David Johnston had. And he had uh, six lawyers helping him, I believe it was. And they only were able to look at uh, part of the document. So I, I think she's going to be asking for an extension. It was, it should ask for it now. It's an unrealistic mm. timeline. That's interesting. Um, we heard, uh, uh, we heard the minister say that the, uh, the justice will receive all relevant information. Who determines what is relevant? Are you concerned that this justice will not get the information they need similar to what David Johnston didn't? I think uh, the justice will will be able to determine whether there's documents that uh, the government is withholding because there's a committee of um, parliamentarians. It's not a committee of parliament. It's handpicked people by uh, Trudeau, but the opposition parties are represented on it. They all get security clearance and they all get to look at documents. They're doing their own review. She'll be able to talk with them and she'll be able to 
determine whether they're getting access to some documents that are not being given to the commission. She's getting access to all the documents that were being given to David Johnston. There could be an issue still, I wouldn't be surprised at all, with the Liberals claiming cabinet confidence on some of the issues, some of the documents, and trying to hide the most damaging information. Uh, We'll just see. Uh, But the commissioner, I think, will be able to track down and determine what she has not seen, what is being withheld, because all she has to do is simply ask the question, are these all the documents? And if they say no, they're all the relevant documents, well, then she knows that there's something being hidden and can try and go after that with uh, applying for court orders, et cetera. We remember that way back when we didn't need a public inquiry, then the David Johnson exercise happened. He said we didn't need one. Now we are uh, where we are. We also remember um, that the liberals were saying that the opposition doesn't want to look at this information. Uh, they, they don't even want to view it. And the opposition saying, well, no, because then we can't talk about it. Jugmeet Singh of the NDP, Elizabeth May of the Greens did go to see it. I don't think we ever heard anything from Jugmeet Singh on it. I don't remember. Uh, you may help me with that. Uh, uh, and Elizabeth May said she didn't see enough documents to draw any conclusions. So was that exercise one of futility? I mean, was that worth anything? No, I don't think so. Based on what happened with Elizabeth May, she said she was able to see a summary and not the actual documents, um, even though she was given full security clearance. No, the, the liberals have been playing game and the games have gone on now for uh, nine months. And, The fact that now this inquiry is going to be squeezed, it's going to first look at the facts, who knew what, when, and what they did about it. But now, after that, they're going to look at policy changes uh, that are needed to prevent foreign interference. And that report is scheduled to come out in December 2024. I don't think it's going to happen because the fact-finding is going to take way longer than to next February. And the Liberals, this will not change no matter what happens. The Liberals should face 100% of the blame for likely delaying the possibility of having a good policymaking process and bill passed, changes Mm. to the Election Act, Lobbying Act, other laws that would prevent foreign interference in the next federal election. And it's all of their fault. The delay has all been them. The last nine months, they've just wasted nine months of time. And as a result, I think we're going to go into the next election with huge loopholes still in laws that will allow, make it legal for for foreign governments to interfere in our election. Is and that why we have... And the Liberals should face that shame themselves. It's 100% their fault. Is that why we are seeing the timeline that we are, Dove, with a lot being crammed into a short period of time because there is a looming election? Uh, well, the opposition parties, of course, and everyone should be pushing for changes to laws before the next election. Yeah. That's what we need to prevent is foreign interference in the next election. Now, a House committee can start hearings this fall and should on policy changes. We don't have to just rely on the inquiry, but in terms of the inquiry informing that process, the inquiry had started nine months ago, then by mid-2024, it would have been able to issue policy recommendations on key changes to close the huge loopholes that make foreign interference legal currently. And uh, that would have been then left enough time to get a bill passed through Parliament before the election cycle is happening in the spring of 2025. But now it's all squeezed. And I don't think this commissioner is going to be able to get a, unless she starts the policy phase while the fact-finding phase is still going on, 
I don't see how she's going to get a policy report out by December 2024, unless she says, I'm just accepting that I'm not going to look at all the documents and I'm not going to find out what really happened. Jeff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch, commenting on the foreign, uh, the public inquiry into foreign interference finally taking shape this week in a justice being announced. Jeff, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. Take care. So um, I, I, I think that that's why that's why we're here. I think that's why we're here. I'm not really sure why we're here. It's the media. The media weren't invited either. Why is why is the liberal environment minister who just got back from China teaching them a lesson on climate change? Why the hell is he showing up on the steps of the convention for the conservatives in Quebec City? Can they be any more and then say they're upset they didn't get an invitation? It's not your party. It's not your convention. You had yours. Remember, did the conservatives show up on your doorstep and ask you what the hell you were doing? unbelievable but that is where we are let's bring in scott radley host of the scott radley show read him in your hamilton spectator on after the six o'clock news hi scott how are you i am well i think i have an answer why he was there why because because the liberals wanted to send their least effective most annoying most ridiculous (laughs) least anything minister just anywhere but near them because he is absolutely the biggest joke in Canadian politics. There is no question. Look, there is no politician. I don't care what party you are. I don't care if you hate Doug Ford. There is no politician who is more ridiculous than this guy and believes somehow that he is more effective and more singing the tunes of the angels and screams at Canadians for their energy, blah, 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 and then goes to China to where the world's leading polluter the place where he could presumably make real hay and possibly change some minds and do something. And what does he do? Uh, oh, hello, Mr. Chinese leadership. I'm here to bow at your feet. It was pathetic. He is a pathetic politician. And so they just want him as far from the Liberal Party because he is toxic. He is toxic. He is, he is a horrible politician. Get him away from the liberals, I'm sure, is what they're saying. Anywhere but near us. He's, he, well, he's, you'd he's, think. He's bringing the dark cloud closer to us. So maybe he can bring the dark cloud closer to the opposition and it rubs you'd, off on them. To, if they were keeping him away from the party, that's one thing. But you think they keep him away from a camera and a microphone, too. Well, you can't. And that's, that's the big problem with this guy is that he doesn't get, he can't. He's asked a bunch of questions today. And if he didn't like them, he said, next question. And someone said, well, did you, t- did you call out the Chinese while you were there on, well, I, I talked to them about rights. No, but did you ask them about Canadian interference? Next question. Well, then why did you go? Yeah. You know, if you're going to go and you're going to make a statement like, look, we understand that we've had a long go here where everyone's questioning Chinese interference in Canada. So if you're going to go to China then, the one thing you cannot do is look like you're playing the lackey. You have to go in there with your muscles flexing and take on the Chinese. And even if it's not necessarily comfortable, you are there representing Canada, not kowtowing to the regime that apparently is interfering in our politics. And he goes and there's no sign that that happened. And what he says, oh, I, you know, I spoke to them. Sure you did. Yeah, behind the scenes. Sure. I'm, I have no doubt that you, you just tore a strip off of the leadership in there. You just laid into them with your concerns about 
human rights and interference in the environment. I'm sure you were just a, an absolute raging bull behind the scenes. Come on. It's a crock. It's a crock. Um, wow. I should have had you on the, sh- I I should've had you on the just, show earlier. I just find him to be an absolute farce. There, there is, yeah, there yeah. is nobody. I feel the is- same way about Melanie Jolie. Because uh, she, well, remember, I remember Travis Damrod, she used to work for us, and now the CBC asked her why they were all going over to the Ukraine uh, when the war first started. And like, why are you all going? Like, there was a contingent of like a dozen people. And she said, I reject that question. It's like, well, you can't reject it. He's already asked it. He's the media. You can't pretend can have, he didn't ask it. Regardless of political stripe. Honestly, you, we can have great respect for a politician who, on the friendly soil of home, in the friendly confines, says, I stand for this, and then goes somewhere else in the world where that is not a popular opinion, and says, I stand for the same thing here that I stand for at home. And you may not like it as my host, but we believe in this. I respect that. Yeah, I but if he had done that, that, honestly, if he had done that, Scott, he would have been like the two Michaels. We wouldn't have heard from him from him again. You know that. I, All right, no, I want to ask you. Maybe I'm stretching thing, it. Yeah, go ahead. on that one is that if you are going to go to China, the world's worst polluter, and while you're there, you're going to criticize your own country, we should yeah. have let, them, let him stay there. That is, that is outrageous that you criticize your own country that commits almost little to no pollution, hardly. And you're standing next to them who are doing it. Come on, that, that's a joke. Do you have a comment on Justin Trudeau bringing his son to the G20 and then the costumes again? Oh man, what, what do you like? Have you hit all the hot button issues today? So <laughs> the only thing I'll say about this because I don't is did we not the day that we got the Instagram thing about he and his wife separating was the third or second line his Instagram post and hers, please respect our family by leading our children out of this. And since that stupid Instagram was posted, he has done nothing but trundle his kids around like they are props to Barbie movies and Oppenheimer movies and foreign trips and here and there. This is, this is so outrageous that he would be the one demanding privacy and then using his kids as political props and as shields. They are human shields for his political ambition. That's all they are right now. And it's outrageous and it's ridiculous. And I wish people would call it to him to his face. I don't have a chance to talk to him right now. But it's outrageous that you would, if you had never said that, fine, bring your kids anywhere. I don't care. But not after you've demanded that the rest of the country treat them with, you know, respect and privacy. He's warmed up and he's ready to go. Scott Radley coming yeah, up after the six o'clock news. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you did about a. I think you did a half hour right there, dude. You're ready to go. I'm loving it. Good. Oh, you're gonna have a good one. <laughs> go have a, a, a you know a quick cold drink and then uh, you'll be ready for the show after six. There Thank we, you. Have a great weekend. There we go. Have a great weekend, Scott. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from three to six on 900 CHML and online at 900. CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. This one from Barb in Belleville. Scott, if the liberal attack ads on abortion still work as a trigger for women, I guess they will continue to roll out this old tired stuff. Disappointed women are not more savvy. Have a good weekend. Cheers, Barb. Keep right except to pass. 